You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. With me today is freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello, everyone. If I can get anyone a coffee, don't hesitate to uh, stop and let me know. And Dr. Bruce Garrick. I kind of think I'd like a coffee tonight. Can you get me one? Yep, I'm on it. Okay. While Tom runs to get the coffee, uh, we'd like to welcome our special guest, uh, live, when while recording at least, from across the ocean in France, we have Ubisoft's Michael DePlater. Michael, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. I'd probably say more half alive rather than live. Yes. Because <laughs> there's get- a time difference we got going. It's It's very late for you there in France, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's 2 a.m., which um, is the time I'd normally be up and playing Halo. But uh, <laughs> so here I am talking to you guys. So we're the echo... into your Halo time. I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sure. The echo uh, you're hearing of Michael's voice is because we're having some trouble with his ordinary microphone, and he is calling from the far future. So, Actually, what it sounds like to me, because you are in France, it sounds like you're in a vast cavernous... Like a, a a villa. You know what? It sounds like you're coming from the palace at Versailles. I'm actually in the uh, the caves at Lascaux. Yeah, forty thousand year old <laughs> cave paintings down there. Uh, now, Michael, we know from uh, End War, um, which I think I am the president of the End War fan club. By the way. It's a small uh, fan club, but you've been pushing End War uh, ever since it's come out. You've been really. Uh, evangelizing for it, uh, especially on this podcast. That's a terrible thing to say it's a small fan club. And, Michael, I want you to set the record straight. End War was successful for Ubisoft, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, actually, because it's it's by far the biggest-selling strategy game I've worked on. So it's bigger than Rome, um, bigger than Medieval and so on. But the perception is that it's smaller, and it's just that... um, I think, you know, the relative the relative numbers people expect on console games are very, very different from mm-hmm. PC. And and in fact it is it is big enough that there is a sequel in development right now. Uh now you you it, it you I think you mentioned before it's in pre production, so you can't tell us a lot of specifics. Of course, Ubisoft hasn't talked much about it. Uh but what, if anything, can you tell us about End War Two? Oh, I mean, basically, um, we got really consistent feedback on the game from reviews and also from players, and I think even even ourselves. And, and the big two things were um, increasing the depth and complexity of the strategy and adding more story into it. So basically, you know, we're just able to go back with everything we've learned from the first one, start from the ground up, and focus on those two areas. So people wanted depth and complexity. What sort are they looking for? Well, the, the funny thing is, you know, we went to an enormous amount of uh, effort in the game making sure that it was accessible for console audience. And I think we probably um, overestimated how much we should, uh, you know, simplify down the core combat system um, in terms of, number of units in terms of the kind of paper, scissors, rock between the core units and so on. And uh, basically, we're just sort of read up that we can um, pedal back for that and add, add more units, add more features, uh, add, um, add a lot more of that stuff back in that we spent vast amounts of time taking out. 
There's <laughs> actually one. I was just going to say one of the things I really learned between the difference of of Rome and Endor is that complexity is incredibly easy. You just keep adding stuff when you think of it, and simplicity is incredibly hard. You know. Yeah. Um, Picking what to take out and, and balancing it and so on. So I'm I'm a little not not disappointed because I think the Shanghai studio and and you did an amazing job with End War and I, I just have complete trust in in whatever decisions are made going forward. But I have to say that was one of the things uh, that I really appreciated about End War was that it was willing to be simple. Uh, that you guys did some ruthless streamlining which is something fairly rare especially in in a in a game from a big studio like like Ubisoft uh there was this elegance to end war that you really don't see in many real time strategy games um well actually one of the things i'm happiest about with the game because we track all the statistics of um, when everyone's playing and so on and we've got seven unit types and every, and by percentage, every single one of those seven types gets used almost exactly equally. So there's no tank rushes. There's no useless units to it um, at all, which I was actually really pleased with. And they're, they're quite diverse, you know, things like the command vehicle or the different infantry types. So, um, I don't think that's something we'd, we'd take away, but what we could increase is, uh, the difference between the three factions, so the um, uh, really at the moment the kind of you know the Russians are our slow heavy units and the Americans are, uh, are the sort of the balanced one and the Europeans are the kind of the faster stealthier ones and we could push a lot further into those um, archetypes and the other thing I think as well in terms of the upgrades and the abilities of the units so people could adapt them and customize them more according to their their preferences as well. So, I mean, kind of, I thought um, the last Dawn of War, Dawn of War 2, was quite good for that. So, especially in the single player, the, the unit classes were really understandable, like the scout and the heavy guy and um, and so on, but they gave a, a lot of sort of depth to customization and choices and upgrade paths, and it was more sort of RPG-like. So I think, you know, that direction more than just saying, adding tons of different units or stuff that, that would unbalance the game or not get used. So I, I do a, a column on real-time strategy games, and, and one of them that I did on End War was uh, these sort of ten things that are uh, that are unique about End War, how it's a real-time strategy game unlike any other RTS. Uh, and then one of the observations that I made about these, these ten things was that each of them you could almost look at as a criticism – uh, there was sort of a way, like for instance, there's not, there is a symmetry. It's largely under the hood, but for the most part, each team is playing with the same tools, uh, each of the three factions. Um, and whereas I like that because asymmetry is sort of all the rage in RTSs, uh, that could be construed as a criticism of the game. Even things like the simple economy, I really liked, appreciated that elegance. But that could be construed as a criticism uh, that end war doesn't have a sophisticated economy. Uh, so a lot of the things that you guys did that I think made end war special were also, uh, I think, hooks for people who didn't like it to sort of criticize it. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think that's that's absolutely true. I think on the economy side, um, I, I think that's something we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't change in the future. So the the 
resource management resource management is not something that um, the game's going to be about. It would always be about you know the tactical combat and overcoming your enemy according to your tactics. And in fact, of course, uh, relative to Rome or the Total War games, where it's just two armies on the battlefield, they don't have any resource management at all when you're in the battle. So we really sort of tried to hit this sweet spot in between, I guess, Total War and um, a more traditional resource-based RTS like Command and Conquer. And obviously the other thing we took a lot of inspiration for on the resource side was um, tactical shooters, so things like Battlefield and so on, where we just wanted to make it um, a game like Rome where you're manoeuvring armies but where it's around objectives and we can support different sorts of game modes and so on. So I think that was really successful and we, and we wouldn't change that. But as I say, just um, adding some more variety in terms of upgrades and customization to to the different factions and classes and so on. Now, you mentioned story. Uh, I, I really like the single-player mode in End War because, in a way, it didn't have story. It was it was the classic, you know, like you play on a risk map and you just move around from battle to battle, uh, and you're upgrading your units as you go and sort of getting attached to specific units. Uh, but it, it sounds like there was a fair amount of criticism that you guys didn't have the conventional story mode. You know, event A happens, then B happens. Uh so it it seems like you got a, bit, a fair bit of flack for that. Well, actually, yeah, it's interesting because you tell your own story, which again is something basically that carries over from from Total War that really liked. You know, they don't want like a um, the game shouldn't progress mission one, mission two, mission three, but there should be setbacks and advances and retreats, and you should rally your troops, and you know the drama should emerge from what happens. But what we didn't uh, put anything into was uh, actually telling the story, whether it's through sort of cutscenes or video or scripted events in-game. So it's more about uh, not the story itself, but the stuff that you see in video games, which is the means of, of telling or showing the story. Um, basically, we just did that very, very lightly, just with uh, audio. Mm-hmm. And people don't listen to the audio if there's no pictures to go with it. That was a, that was a learning <laughs> So it's like the, you know, we did have, I think, actually a sort of reasonably interesting story, even for the single player, like the tutorial bits where we teach it. But as I say, literally, we only communicated it with text and voice. And, uh, yeah, no one no one picks that up. Right. And, and the surprising thing, because we thought, you know, that basically in strategy games, to some extent, they just want to get in and... and sort of uh, blow shit up and, and we sort of used Battlefield as an analogy that we wanted to focus on the multiplayer and, and wanted to um, just get into it like that but it, it really was a, a disappointment to people not to have all those bits around the edges uh, Another thing that uh, you guys did that was special and actually I don't I can't think of any other game that did anything even remotely similar was this idea that uh, super weapons had a repercussion uh, and what you did was you let the, the losing player, and, and I put losing in air quotes because sometimes it would behoove you to let yourself fall behind, but you put the losing player in the catbird seat. He gets to decide whether or not super weapons are introduced into the equation. Uh, and, and that's, that's a great way to counter this traditional RPS problem of the, the winner wins even more, this sort of snowballing. 
uh, whoever is ahead, he just keeps increasing his lead, and then the latter part of the game is just him cleaning up. Uh, you guys completely subverted that with this idea of of, of letting someone decide whether or not super weapons are going to be, you know, fired back and forth. Yeah, I mean, and the idea was to address exactly the problem um, that, that you identified of, well, actually, so we arrived in China, and uh, so to introduce myself to the team and stuff, we were, we were playing quite a few RTS games together, and we were playing Dawn of War, and we'd been playing for 19 seconds, um, and the guy sitting next to me on the next computer looked at my PC and uh, just started pissing himself laughing because in the first 19 seconds he could see that the game was over. I'd already lost. <laughs> and sure enough, 35 seconds later, I got you know my base stormed with some unimaginably huge army. But it was basically that problem that, that we wanted to uh, that we wanted to find a way to fix, which is you know you, if you start winning, you're going to win. So and and it's not that much fun for the guy who loses, which was usually me. And even for the guys uh, winning, you know, it's somewhat boring once you reach past that point. So we wanted something where the uh, the matches could go about 20 minutes, but they could always be interesting, you know, right through the end of that as well. And then offsetting that um, with the fact that, okay, you can decide to use these super weapons, but there's a, a real cost because you actually want to keep your units alive from match to match. So the fatality levels of your own units is actually going to get higher and... Um, if you if you bring them to bear. And some of the stuff that we, again, saw when people play that's really cool is people would retreat to save units rather than fight to the end of a match. So we get all these uh, interesting and much more real-world sort of behaviours than, um, than had been normally the case in, in RTS before. So what are the challenges you face as a developer designing it for the console? Because the consoles aren't seen as RTS platforms. And, I mean, you can make the case that Endwar is a good console. Uh, it's a good console RTS. But on the PC, it really doesn't stand out all that much. Uh, might not be a fair criticism, but it's certainly out there that it's an average PC RTS but a great console RTS. Uh, are there specific challenges you had to face making that transition or... Yeah, I mean, well, basically they fall into two. Uh, one is the control issues, of course, and and the other one is the um, the gameplay issues. And I say, basically, I think we overestimated the difference on the on the gameplay issues. You know, we were really obsessed about making something that someone who'd never played a strategy game before could pick up and play um, and understand. So basically, anyone who understood the rules of the battlefield from a shooter, so they played Ghost Recon or they played Battlefield, would immediately be able to play Endwar, um, and we achieved that. But what we... Um, but, but we didn't sort of, uh, as I say, leave enough customization or additions that we could then retain that interest for someone who'd played StarCraft or, uh, or something like that. Um, so, and I really think both those things are possible. It's just about how to manage uh, customization and upgrades and flexibility of, of different strategies. But on, on the controls, I think we really nailed it. And also, the other thing is the, I guess, what in StarCraft terms would be called the actions per minute. We didn't, there's no way somebody's going to be do, able to do the equivalent of clicking 80 or 100 times a minute that rate of input uh, on a on a console or on a gamepad, 
unless they're playing Street Fighter or something, I guess. But so we really wanted to slow down the rate of decisions and um, and focus on higher level tactics, tactical decisions rather than really fast sort of twitch twitch gameplay. But as I say, I mean, adding some of that complexity back in, you know, the thing where we got criticised compared to a Call of Duty or whatever is, uh, sorry, Company of Heroes, um, is actually incredibly easy to do, I think. So it's, I think the, the track we've got to avoid falling back to is going too far the other way and kind of doing Company of Heroes on console without controls, which would actually be relatively straightforward to do, but um, I think would would end up going too far and potentially being confusing. I that was actually... That, go, ahead. go ahead, Bruce. I think it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the idea that uh, you know, you're really concerned about getting people uh, who you know hadn't played a strategy game to figure out how to play a strategy game um, because I'm in the position of, ha- of being someone who had never... You know, really tried to play a strategy game on the console, trying to figure out how to uh, how to click on all these different things. And I had the the unfortunate experience of not having a mic that worked in the um, uh, work with my PS3. It just never really occurred to me. I don't really use my PS3 except for uh, watching Blu-ray. But I had uh, you know I got uh, End War. I, I loaded it up and and tried it out, and I couldn't do the tutorial because. There was a point in the tutorial where, like right at the beginning, where it says "say something into the mic," and I'm like, "Well, I, I can't do that," so I had to skip it, and uh, I just had to go into the um, whatever into the campaign and start playing. And man, it was hard for me to figure out. You know, I, mean, I, I could, I got sort of got the idea of, uh, you know, move, you know, select these guys and um, and uh, you know target the target the enemy guys and and even with uh, I guess on the normal mode the first few missions are so uh, are, are just designed so that you can't lose um, but wow it was just really kind of hard for me to, to just select things and figure out oh you know those are um, you know those are transports or you know, those are uh, those are tanks and 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 you know oh, I, I don't want my uh, I don't want my gunships attacking those I want my tanks attacking those. And um, so I mean, it was really it was really pretty challenging for me, even though I knew it, I, I was pretty sure that I could handle the strategy game part. That the the actual selecting things and making them go where I wanted them to was uh, was very non-trivial. Well, it really does. Yeah. You need if you don't have a microphone, you're you're playing it pretty much as like a menu-driven uh, RTS when you when you play on a console. Uh, so it sort of it it definitely uh, they really did solve a lot of console rts problems with the voice activated stuff yeah. so when that so works that right so, so you really can't you really can't play that thing without a without a headset i would say no on a console you can't the, the funny thing is and, and michael i don't know if you agree with this on the pc troy i disagree too you said it didn't it didn't stand out maybe i'm misunderstanding what you were saying but you were saying it didn't really stand out on a, on a pc uh, amongst other RTSs, I, I still feel that everything that makes End War special on a console mm-hmm. also applies to it on a PC. I love the PC version, and the funny thing about the PC version is that uh, you don't need the voice support at all because you've got a mouse. And, and Michael, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I sort of feel like all that fine work you guys did on the voice recognition is basically superfluous once you're using a mouse on a PC. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically... The, the interesting thing, because we've we've got a there's an overview map, like a top down map where you can give uh, like higher level orders, 
um, and stuff, which is on the console version as well. And the thing with the voice activation is anyone who uses voice never uses that high-level map because it, it lets you the voice lets you move things from one side of the map to the other and sort of control the whole map. Um, and that's something that it's basically very, very easy to do on a PC because you can click on the radar or, or issue these big orders. So I think the, um, the number one thing that the, the the voice does is it lets you, you know, control the entire map and control the entire game regardless, independent of the location of your camera or what you've currently got selected. And the second you can click on a radar, you don't really have to worry about that advantage so much. So. Yeah, I think on the on the PC it really is uh, much less much less useful. But it really does make for a different kind of experience too. Even on on a on a console when you're doing the voice activated stuff, uh, it, it's so good with the voice recognition and the sort of the system of grammar that you guys invented is is just so intuitive. It, it's so simple to to tell a unit to go to a particular point on the map or to attack or to retreat. Uh, it, it's basically you're, you're recreating hotkeys, I, I think. Uh, with just simple voice-driven commands. Um, is it that good? Because, I mean, if it is, then I, I guess I'm going to have to get a headset for my PS3 because it just doesn't... I had such a kind of a hard time controlling everything with just the controller that I was you know, looking forward to us talking to hear about actually how this game works, but I guess I, I was missing an entire yeah, you part absolutely, of the game. I, yeah. I would say you absolutely cannot play End War on a, on a console without, it, without like, a working microphone. Uh, that's That's how... Uh, Michael and the other guys at Ubisoft basically solved the, the dilemma of how does uh, an RTS work on a console game, on a console so, system. And normally the problem is you don't have a mouse pointer, but because they've coded everything to work with these these simple verbal commands, you don't need a mouse pointer and you don't need hotkeys. So can you explain what, what just for people maybe who don't have the game uh, and people like me who don't have a headset, what what exactly do you do with the voice that that is that it's just such a shortcut? Sure. Well, it's basically uh, there's a simple. Actually, I should probably let Michael explain this, but I'll just say real quickly. There's a simple grammar system involving a subject, a verb, and an object, and it's that simple. You know, unit. I, I forget this, but like unit A attack unit one, and it was. I believe Michael, you can correct me on this, but there's. Your units are identified with, is it numbers and the enemy with letters or, but you guys took pains to make sure that things aren't confused, that it's distinct, that it's, that they're enemy units and friendly units using different terminology and even points on the map. Yeah, uh, so it's basically, it's red and blue for you and enemies and then units are numbers and then positions are letters, so Alpha Bravo, Charlie, ah, right. etc. So unit one, attack hostile two, tells your unit to attack uh, that enemy unit on the map. Um, and unit three, move to alpha, tells that unit to, to move across the map. And actually one of the things we added really late that I think works really well is the ability to uh, use the and command. So you can do things like multiple selection and groups as well. So unit one and unit three, create group. Or all your gunships and unit five, create group. And move to alpha. So then you, with just that simple uh, addition of and in the grammar that's recursive, you, you can do pretty much anything. So I think, as you said, yeah, it's sort of uh, macros and hotkeys, what they would be normally in an RTS, they're kind of at your fingertips or at your mouth tip or whatever that is. <laughs> the tip, it's at the tip of your tongue, yeah. yeah exactly, that's the one. 
<laughs> was uh, that... it really does work beautifully, Bruce. I mean, it, it's 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 amazing to see it in action because just like Michael was saying, I mean, that's you just talk that simply when you're playing, and this stuff happens on the screen in front of you, and it creates this great sense of you know you're actually telling something to do something, and then you watch it do it. Uh, we're so conditioned as video gamers to see things respond to the press of a button or a key that having this power of voice translated into a game to see it finally working well. You know, I remember playing flight sims from way back when and using these fancy voice recognition software to try to do things like lower your flaps or, or to tell your wingman to do stuff. And that was always a little spotty and it, w- it would have been cool if it worked better. Uh, but it's so nice to actually see this incorporated and to see it executed well. Uh, and there's, there's two big advantages to doing it in a military game, obviously. The first is that it uh, supports the immersion because that obviously is how, how generals or how... Um, Military communicate orders is still by speech a lot of the time. And then, uh, the other thing is that the military also in their, um, in their vocabulary tend to use these, this terminology that's really easy to understand and simplify because it needs to be heard over the radio or whatever. So you can use this simplified grammar, like simplified, more formal grammar and, uh, and, and also terminology and it, and it sounds really natural. So, you can actually design it in such a way that it um, makes it really reliable to recognize compared to if you had to do, I don't know, a more a more natural language voice recognition thing for a conversation system in an RPG or something. So military um, military games, it's really ideal for. So and at what part of the – go ahead, Troy. At what point in the development did you stumble upon the idea of using voice commands? Because as Tom said, you know, it's been tried before and never very well. And when I – Saw that in the end, were uh, description. I was thinking, well, this this is going to be a disaster. Uh, but it turned out to be one of my favorite parts of the game. Just how once you learn the grammar, just how intuitive it becomes. As long as you speak clearly and you enunciate well, uh, you do feel like you are a general. The immersion works, the game works, and I grew to really love uh, the voice system. Where did that come in in the development stage? Uh, probably, I mean. Not the very beginning, but probably within the first sort of like definitely during pre-production and, and design. Because basically the first thing we did where we wanted to look at designing a game for console was look at lots of tactical shooters. And basically as soon as we played SOCOM, we knew we were going to put voice design in. I'm oh, sorry, you know, voice recognition in because we thought it works pretty well here. Um, and that's on PlayStation 2, so surely on PS3 and Xbox and with the software being, you know, five years more advanced, if we can make it twice as good as that, then it's going to be uh, really cool. Now, uh, the 360, Michael, of course, everyone has a microphone on the 360. Well, I say everyone, but actually, does the 360 come with a mic? I'm just wondering yeah. about the issues of you can assume that people with a 360 have a mic, but as is the case with Bruce, you can't really assume that with a PS3. Uh, isn't that a sort of a disadvantage for Endwar on the PS3? Oh, we bundled a version with a mic, so... Um, ah. Uh, so, it's, it's interesting, actually, because I think and partly it's, it's once, you get used to, once you get used to playing as well, and a lot of people, the more they play, more evolved to this kind of hybrid between using the pad and using the voice, because the... The pad is actually better and quicker for lots of sort of close range stuff like attacking or precision stuff or um, some of the tactical combat. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a better experience if you've got a microphone. And that, too, by the way, I think is another key to doing an RTS on a console system is that it's not tactically fiddly. Like, you don't have to worry about unit facing. You don't necessarily have to arrange formations. There's this sort of elegance that as long as the right piece is in roughly the right place, it does its tactical thing on its own without you having to hold its hand. Uh, the unit sort of seems smart and independent once you get them where they need to be. The, the challenge for the player is what unit do you put at what general area on the map? Um, it, it's almost chess-like in that regard in that you have a few types of pieces and then the map is a board with a few vital points and it's all about which pieces are put at which points. And that sort of determines the game. And you're not having to manually fire weapons. Although there are, there are like special abilities for some of the units that you manually fire off and stuff. Um, yeah. But you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that thing of, uh, of, of putting, making the units fairly independent in how they fight, that was like technically, I'd say that was one of the hardest things to do because you have to make the units moderately autonomous. And making units autonomous without making them seem incredibly stupid or annoying any time they don't do what you might have expected you thought you wanted them to do in that particular case is uh, is actually really hard. Things like one of the tr- really tricky things is like setting um, how aggressive they are about pursuing enemy units. Mm-hmm. So if you make them um, autonomous, so if the if the enemy attacks and pulls back a bit out of range and they don't chase them, they look incredibly stupid. And if they uh, do chase them, but chase them into a situation where you didn't want them to go, it's incredibly annoying and they look incredibly stupid. So, you know, uh, things like the the amount of tuning that is, is required on the AI just to make that not really annoying is uh, is very, very high. And it's another thing that you do on PC, people just automatically basically accept that their units are dumb because they have this really low level of autonomy because you have to click on them and tell them to do basically everything. So, that, so, that's a so. dilemma that I do not envy you guys. I mean, that's the sort of thing that when you get it right, nobody notices. But when you get it wrong, everybody notices and they complain very loudly. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. what a nightmare that must be. Yeah, I mean, and, and and that's basically the the summary of it. You know, it takes an enor- like, yeah, an enormous amount of uh, effort on console to do to do things that end up exactly as as what you say. If you uh, if you do them right, no one notices or just goes, oh wow, that's simpler than on PC. <laughs> um, and and if you get it wrong, it's just you know incredibly annoying or could in fact just break the game altogether. Uh, Michael, have you seen, uh, so did you guys look at other console, uh, RTSs? Like, was that, I, I'm sure you did, but, uh, I guess, can you, can you speak about other console RTSs? Like, have you seen others that you've liked? I think, as I said, we probably looked at, um, tactical shooters more because they were getting more and more sophisticated in their, their controls. So, I mean, basically, if you look at Ghost Recon, um, advanced warfighter where you're controlling teammates and giving ah. squad members orders and stuff and you look at uh, End War End War kind of is just a scaled up version of, of Ghost Recon so it's a third it's a third person tactical game it's just instead of, in, of controlling one or two squad mates you're controlling 
companies and platoons and so on, and tanks and uh, and soldiers and so on. Um, I think we only looked at like other more traditional PC, uh, more traditional RTSs that have been converted to console. So say like Command and Conquer to convince us that we didn't want to try and do a resource model and build it. You know, we didn't want to have base base building and moving units. So as soon as you have to do both of those things at once, we really thought that pushed it over a threshold of what's, you know, possible or comfortable or really, really works, can work well. Right. So we, we wanted to make it more tactical. But but actually, again, um, I, I always thought Total War would be, as far as the controls go, was, was more adaptable to going onto a console as well and it's total war's got that same that same setup of having the unit cards at the bottom of the screen and having effectively a third person camera so a camera that's above the unit and where you can look around in in 3d so uh that that was we sort of looked at that type of pc more than a traditional top-down 2d play and pikmin we looked at i think that that is the one that gave us confidence that oh yeah it is possible and it can work and full spectrum warrior again, I think uh, control wise was a was a really good attempt to basically make a strategy game on console. So full spectrum warrior and Pikmin would have been the, the two main ones. I love that Pikmin is an inspiration for RTS makers. I mean, <laughs> well, Miyamoto, it, it, uh, it should be, shouldn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, that that was sort of the. Uh, I guess proof of concept that you can you can have that kind of gameplay on a console system. Yeah. Although to be fair, you know that Herzog's Vi was a was a console RTS. I mean, it was a console game and it was an RTS way back when. Uh, that, that sort of it goes it goes way it goes back far uh, farther than uh, Pikmin. Actually, uh, I'd say that. Oh, sorry, just Herzog's Vi specifically. That's probably the reason the game got commissioned to be done in the first place because uh, Serge. Ascoet, who's the um, chief creative officer or whatever the name is for all of Ubisoft, he was a huge fan of Herzog's Wife. So the first time I got interviewed and sat down to um, come and work for Ubisoft, that that was basically the, the brief. It was like, do the 21st century version of Herzog's Wife. Nice. You'd have to have a split screen, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now we have the internet instead of split screen, so there's that. <laughs> Um, I I uh, have been playing a lot of Brutal Legend lately, which uh, is in fact a full blown console RTS. And one of the developers told me that they're what they wanted to do was a heavy metal version of Herzog's Vi. Uh, so I'm glad to see Herzog's Vi is getting uh, getting the recognition it deserves. Sounds awesome. I've got that on pre order, so I'm going to have to become a journalist so I can get games earlier. Michael, I think you are going to love uh, Brutal Legend, and and especially coming from someone like they they do things that you guys couldn't do just because they're they're sort of it's this wacky imaginative world, so they can kind of cheat and do crazy things, but but there's a lot of what made End War work is also present in Brutal Legend. Uh, they they they've definitely got their RTS chops. They they've uh, they know what they're doing. Uh, I, I'll be curious to hear what you think. Cool. I thought that was a platformer where you're Jack Black and you run around with a guitar and, and fight bosses. That's what you would think, isn't it? But uh, crazily enough, 
they sort of gate the game progress with RTS missions. You're playing, and every now and then you <laughs> you have to play an RTS uh, to progress. And that's their multiplayer. Multiplayer is a fully developed real-time strategy game that, that you can play online. Uh, no, no voice control, but the way they get around it is you're an avatar running around in the map, and your avatar has to command people. If you've ever played Sacrifice, which, Bruce, I know you have, this is the latter-day Sacrifice. Um, is it really Is it really that good? It's that good, yes. And the, 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 the review embargo has been lifted today, so I can speak freely. Um, but, yes, if, if, if you loved Sacrifice, and I know all of us here did, uh, then you will like Brutal Legend. So there you go. Well, there's an endorsement. I have it on also. We'll Troy, do you have uh, do you have Brutal Legend pre-ordered like everyone else? I do not podcast? have a Brutal Legend pre-ordered. No. Okay, I'd I'm waiting hope for the re- they have copies. I'm waiting um, for the reviews. Oh, I'm sure I can find a copy. Okay. All I know is Tim Schafer is funny. He's a very funny man. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, um, did Did you know, Michael? By the way, that Brutal Legend was an RTS. Like, no, it's, like I don't know how. I don't know how common that knowledge is. Like, I think they've sort of been keeping it a little quiet because that's that's a little strange. I just knew it had nudity, so I was I was already there with my pre-order. <laughs> There's no nudity. <laughs> Damn it! But there is RTS, <laughs> yeah. so uh, it, all, it all balances out. So. <laughs> There's nudity in Total War, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just very, very small. Yeah, it's, it's pixelated. Little- yeah, is it like naked witches or something, right? Was it <laughs> the, the geisha in Shogun? Yep. Uh, now tell us, Michael, about your involvement with Total War. Obviously, you you weren't working on Empire. You haven't been at Creative Assembly since then. But uh, how far back do you go with the Total War games? Oh, uh, back to the start of of Shogun, actually. So I was working with Creative Assembly on. We were doing sports games back then, so it was all the Australian sports games, so cricket, rugby, all those. Um, and then I was producer for EA on a game called KK and D: Crush, Kill, and Destroy, which was basically oh, wow. yeah. That was a a race to get out the first CNC ripoff in a way, you know, clone. <laughs> Uh, that was that was done by a company in Australia, and we published that, and it sold like six hundred thousand, and it was it was pretty good. It was you know wasn't a bad game, but we thought, shit, why are we doing you know these Australian sports games when we could do that? And um, so that was that was how Shogun started, and uh, then I moved. That was when I moved to the UK, and then we got to the end of end of Shogun. And we had this idea that we'd do a game that was an evolution of that. We'd take the engine of Shogun and, and do a kind of 1.5, and that was medieval. And at the same time as that, we wanted to do the kind of big next generational step, which was Rome. So um, so basically, I, I started, uh, I worked on Rome and focused on that one and then and then got to the end of that and then thought, oh, I'd really like to go and try and do that on console and something more sort of map and also modern warfare. And so that was End War as well. And then each one of those games is about four years. So you, you go from that, from the start of Shogun to then go through Rome, to then go through End War, and there's 12 years of your of your life. It goes goes fast. And now I'm I'm detecting a bit of an accent. Are you uh, you're what you're Irish maybe? <laughs> Australian, Australian, just Irish when I when I drink. 
So that's near, isn't that near New Zealand? I understand. <laughs> it, it was it it was near New Zealand, but they've recently uh, just moved it further north into the uh, Atlantic. So it's now <laughs> it's now in between uh, England and and America, which is a lot more convenient. I'm actually I'm giving you a hard time because I accidentally called you British earlier, and I feel bad about that. Uh, <laughs> the the Queen is still our head of state; she's still on the money. So technically, we're we're all we're all still. British. <laughs> uh, I think you guys are called pommies. Is uh, is the derogatory term that I'm used to hearing about, uh, like prisoner of Mother England. I don't know how widespread that is, but there you go. Um, yep, poms among, among other less savory names. <laughs> Tom is, has an encyclopedic knowledge of ethnic and national slurs. Yeah, <laughs> Tom's trying to get his band in Australia right now. It's not well, hard to do. Yeah, yeah, you can. I think you, the drop of a hat, you can get banned in Australia. They they love that sort of thing. Uh, so what you're working on now, you you told us before, w- won't be announced for a while. But you're not you're not working on In War Two. You are now at this new super secret project. I understand, right, Michael? Yeah, in the in the south of France. So the first thing I was working on was my tan. I think. Um, <laughs> After after Shanghai, it's kind of nice seeing some blue skies. And uh, yeah, so it's um, joining up with a, a team here, and it's actually in a lot of ways it's it's a little bit like going back to the the UK again. So it's a small team of very very senior guys, whereas uh, in China it was a very very large team of lots of guys who who um, were getting started or, or learning about uh, learning about games. Now, there, why is there uh, game development in Shanghai? Because if I'm not mistaken, is, isn't there, aren't there other studios besides Ubisoft in Shanghai? Yeah, there's – well, actually, and a lot of them are staffed with people who initially trained at Ubisoft, so I think there's this sort of turnover based on that. But really there's game development in Shanghai for the, you know, uh, sort of really obvious reason that there's lots of very, very smart programmers and engineers and artists – uh, who don't cost as much as they do in the US or, or UK. So, with you know the size of with the size of teams growing, that becomes a really significant factor. If you've got to have a um, hundred people and so on on the staff over two or three years, that that adds up to a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But plus, the- I mean, that's I was, I was going to say that's one reason. The 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 other reason, of course, is that China as a market's just going to grow and grow, and so they're going to want to make. Uh, their own games for themselves. So I think the kind of working with Western developers and Western games is just going to be the stepping stone to them making their own games for China, and then we'll all be making games for China in about five years, I think. <laughs> uh, and do you still consider yourself, uh, if not as a developer, as a player, like are you still an RTS guy? It's, uh, actually, the game I've been playing lately is um, Valkyria Chronicles. That's fantastic. Really fun. So, yeah, I'd still consider myself a a strategy player, but I've always preferred the kind of blowing stuff up and killing stuff thing over the the sort of the building and construction side. Valkyria Chronicles does have sort of a weird RTS feel to it. I mean, it's very turn-based, but it's got that whole continuous time scheme. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Actually, it's again, it's uh, kind of like we were saying with Nintendo or Pikmin before, where you have these great game mechanics, but uh, 
it's funny little talking onions or or whatever. So if you divorce the mechanics from the from the content, there's a lot of these games that are great. So what I'd like is sort of Valkyria Chronicles, but with Warhammer. Like it feels like a be a tabletop war game and stuff, but it's got these sort of strange cartoony little pretty elf girls and stuff that uh, is not quite so much my thing, but the the game mechanics of it I think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I like the sound of that, by the way. A Warhammer using the Valkyria Chronicles, that sort of phase-based, phase-turn-based uh, tactical combat. That, yeah, I, th- I think whoever has a license needs to get onto that. Uh, yeah, well, it's funny because, uh, you know, um, the, the relics are with their Warhammer are sort of going into more action games now, so... It's uh, it's really hard to find people who are actually persisting with RTS now because, of course, after Ensemble's gone and um, and then the, the the you know the the guys on Dawn of War are sort of working on a on an action game now. Although I'm sure they're working on RTS as well. But and uh, Massive, who did World in Conflict that Ubisoft have acquired, so I don't even know what they're doing now. But I think um, in general, there's there's not that many. Not as many big RTS games in development now. I think it, it it's there's there's an odd shift. I mean, it's uh, it, it, you know RTSs are sort of finding their way onto consoles for one thing. You know, they're struggling with that. Uh, but the yeah, there's a, there's a perception, I guess, that the the harder core RTSs that nobody really wants those anymore, which is odd because some of them were were very commercially successful. Um, and we're but other than were they successor relative to the cost? I think that's the problem. A lot of these companies right. are making insist on like AAA budgets, and on the PC, you're just not going to be making that money back. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, that's exactly it. The costs go up faster than the 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 sales. So both Halo Wars and End War, like look at the biggest selling RTS games in the last ten years. So. Uh, by money, Halo Wars is actually number one. Like, it's bigger than Age of Empires. And um, End Wars, uh, number five. So, basically, it's after Halo Wars, Age of Empires, and C&C 3, and, um, and StarCraft. So, they're like the biggest RTS games of, of the last ten years, are these two. But relative to the budgets and relative to the expectations of console games, it's not really considered as, as big enough. Right. Um, so, and, and that's the thing, because I think at the end of the day, there is a, there's a limited number of strategy games. There's a limited number of people who actually want to think while they're playing a game rather than just pull a trigger. Um, it's a smaller, kind of, yeah. It, there is, a, there is an upper, you know, kind of a glass ceiling on that. There's, there's an upper limit on how many people, you know, want to use their brains while they're, while they're playing a game in that it's way. Definitely, it's definitely a smaller pie that you guys have to divide up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So Supreme so, Commander 2, they're, they're, they're simultaneously developing it for consoles as well, aren't they? Troy, yeah. do you know the answer to that? Yeah, that's yeah. what they said at E3, that they plan to have a simultaneous launch. And, uh, I got the sense that they thought they learned something from the disaster uh, that was the first Supreme Commander on the Xbox, which did not work at all. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they make the translation uh, from Subcom 2. Yeah, you definitely you have to do something different. Yeah. And like Land War demonstrated, you know, yeah. there there are solutions to the problems that that RTSs have traditionally had on consoles. Right. But I think of something like, like Multiwinia. I think Multiwinia would work beautifully on a console system. I wish, you know, they're, they're developing that for Xbox Live Arcade. 
Um, and I, I wish that would come out soon. But that and there's a go ahead, Michael. Oh, sorry, I was just getting over because Dawn of War Two, I think, would be great on console as well. So you've got four or five squads of guys, you know, it's, um, and and on these big battles, uh, I think you could you could map the controls to something like that really easily. So I'm well, and also sort of a Warhammer thing. And and also something like Demigod, which was another great yeah. RTS from from this year. With you're only controlling the one unit, that would work beautifully on a console system, I would think. Uh, and and then that, by the way, is how Brutal Legend handles it. Is you're very much controlling one avatar, and he's on the field. He's one of the units. He has certain abilities, but uh, through him, you then command and train other units. Um, so yeah, there, there's some great solutions out there. Uh, but it, it's sort of this. Uh, yeah, well, we're definitely in this transitional phase. But like Enwar demonstrated, there's there's a lot of exciting solutions that are uh, being thrown around. Yeah, which is, as, as I said, it's kind of interesting. So at the point where we've kind of uh, gone through and done lots of the hard work and, and learned lots of the hard lessons now seems like it's uh, really the time where there's a chance for uh, a, a next generation of console RTS to really get it right. I, I basically think if you take... End War and Halo Wars and put them together, um, it, it would uh, really be close to what the future of console RTS games could look like. So I think, you know, um, lots of the stuff they did on the, the, the sort of the faction design or some of the, the fun things you could do with the units and also the, the, the way that they actually do more console lock storytelling in cutscenes and um, presentation. Uh, I think if you take that and put that with something like our gameplay and, and our battles, it could be very cool. I think how much, Michael, do, do you think it's a disadvantage that you guys were trying to do a fairly realistic um, military setting? Like, for instance, I think of Halo Wars. They've got crazy aliens and they've got sci-fi weapons. I think of Brutal Legend where it's basically Tim Schiffer's imagination run rampant. Uh, they can do all these sort of crazy, fancy things, uh, whereas you guys have to sort of play it more straight. W- was that a disadvantage at all? Uh, I guess like with lots of things, it's got pros and cons. Like the big advantage of the real world is that people um, have a rough understanding or you know, some idea of what things do without being thought so they know what a tank does. So, um Actually, it's interesting. That's pretty much where it tends to end. The tank does, and maybe <laughs> artillery. <laughs> and after that, it's really because you, you take another uh, vehicle, like light combat vehicles. People really don't know what the function of those is very much compared to, to tanks, and I think they just want to drive lots of tanks around. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as you, you go into a more fantastical universe, then whatever gameplay idea that you've got, you can come up with some fiction or, or some sort of unit that, that fits that. So... Um, which and that's the situation I'm in now, and not working on Tom Clancy. So it's, it is kind of very, very liberating. Right, right. Uh, in um, in Brutal Legend, you can crash a flaming zeppelin down on top of a mastodon. So Led I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that makes if that makes you jealous, Michael. That's that's the sort of the freedom they have. They can get they can get that crazy. Uh, yeah, and they, yes, they wouldn't get that past Tom Clancy. Yeah, I don't think Tom Clancy can have that. And yes, Bruce, just so you know, the name of that particular power is called Bring It On Home. So it's exactly a Led Zeppelin reference. Spoiler, by the way. 
So that's a that's a Led Zeppelin song, right? Now you guys were quoting Doors lyrics earlier before we started recording, so don't don't start playing coy with me about rock and roll. <laughs> Mr. People are strange. Excellent. Nice work, guys. That, that's that's good. That's good stuff. Uh, I'd like to thank Michael for being with us today. Any last words? Uh, in unfinished business? Uh, with us or with Michael? Oh, either of us. <laughs> I I could sit here and talk about Brutal Legend all day. I'm, I'm as enthusiastic about that as I was about Endor. So I, I can I can go either direction with either and of these. You're games. going to be uh, blogging it at Fidget, I would assume. Uh, my review is up today, and uh, yep. Um, so next week's show is about Brutal Legend. I, I think it could be. I'd have to buy it first. I, if you had it pre-ordered like everyone else tried. Yeah, I know. I, 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 thinking. I spent my pre-order money on uh, Dragon Age. Are you Does kidding she, me? I am kidding you. I haven't pre-ordered it yet. <laughs> I think I'm going to play uh, Star Trek Online. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. You're, you're right, actually. That's good. I won't be playing. <laughs> Thanks a lot to Michael for for showing up at like two in the morning in France. Yes, this and is a uh, quite a struggle, I'm sure. <laughs> it has been a bit, so, uh, but but it was good. It was fun. Nice to talk to you. Uh, before you go, uh, one last question: Is there any future for the hardcore economic RTS, or is that dead? Oh man, um, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's got to have a future. I mean, all the same people that have always loved it, I guess, will will keep loving it. Um, that's just the someone's doing uh, a strategy games on Facebook. I think that's kind of maybe for resource management. That could be um, where you're not under time pressure. That could actually be a really interesting platform for that. Oh God, Michael, you're oh, you're not advocating doing RTSs on Facebook. I'm going to have to get a uh, Facebook account. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you should get a Facebook account. Oh, Michael, you're one of them. You've gone over to the other side. Now you're talking about Facebook games? Tell us you're not working on a Facebook game. Just tell us that right now. Oh, <laughs> there might be a small Facebook component in our, in our game. I, I think all games are going to be Facebook games in five years, I think. That's my, my prediction. Take that back. It's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. All right. Uh, thanks again, Michael, for joining us uh, at this hour and at this distance. Hopefully, the sound uh, won't be will be cleaned up uh, in the final. Recording. Oh, it'll be all edited by the edited magic editing wizards. Yeah, magic editing wizards. That's what I need. One of those. And uh, say good night, everyone. Good night. I'm just gonna say good night. Thanks.